0: Welcome, those of you who are joining us right now from an offsite campus or on the internet, wherever in the world you happen to be, we're glad you're here. What a great weekend, would you agree with that? My goodness, this is the way to do February. This is good, this is good. So this weekend we're planting churches, as most of you know, it's part of our mission to plant churches and we're planting five of them this weekend, Uh, one in a Commonwealth uh, church in San Diego, uh, Canvas Church in Upland, California, Skyline Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, City Fellowship Church in Fort Worth, Texas, and the Sycamore Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. If you know anybody in one of those communities, you tell them that there is a brand new life-giving church coming uh, to them this weekend. And a uh, portion of everything that you give goes because to, to this because we believe every community needs and deserves a life-giving church. Would you agree with me on that? Yes. Okay, three of you would. Let's give some applause. Yeah. So have you ever gotten assigned a project so big that you got into it and you wondered how you would ever survive to tell the story? Anybody ever been there? Nobody's been there, okay. Okay. So take another drink of coffee and let's start again. All right, here we go. So, so let me explain, maybe you ever built a house? Maybe you were building a house and you're going, wow, that seemed cool at the start, but it just looks like it's never gonna end. Or building a company, building a building, or how about Christmas time, when you were assigned to put together a project that said some assembly required. You remember those and you just are overwhelmed. I remember, a lot of you know, if you've been coming here very long, that. Uh, the other church we pastored before we came here was in Northern Illinois, a little farming community. And, and uh, we had 13 members when we started, and it started to grow a little bit. I think when we had a couple hundred members, uh, we, uh, we, we decided we're gonna, we needed a building, and we, we moved into a larger building. and, and uh, So there was a 7-Up warehouse uh, that came available just outside the city limits. And it was only about seven, eight, 10 years old and fairly new. And so we bought it. We paid $250,000 for the warehouse and about 10 acres of land, if you can imagine. And, yeah, but that's all the money we had. We didn't have any more money. We didn't have any contractors. We had me. And we had one little bathroom. Uh, it had. It was a warehouse with an office kind of attached to it. Had one little bathroom with one little potty. And on our first weekend there, because we decided we're just gonna worship out in the, in the warehouse, okay, we Better than nothing, and and uh, and, and so a, a fairly large person sat on the potty and, and broke it. It actually it seriously happened first first week. Didn't want to give you that visual, but it's part of the story. And so. And so and, and so we we we're in trouble because we that happened on Sunday morning. We had a Sunday night service, but. We we're in a farming community and farmers have everything in their barns. Anything you need, they got in a barn. Farmers said, I got a I got an old toilet in the haymow, whatever a hay mow is. Brought it in, put it in. But that's all we had. So the first thing we had to do was figure out how to do a bathroom. We needed a you know bigger bathrooms for men and, and women, because we only had one. We didn't have any money. Did I mention that? And so um, I had an architect, somebody told me about an architect that would do a free gratis deal, and he just drew us up a general schematic and said, okay, you could put it. Here And this is how walls would look and all of that. And uh, so then we prayed for a plumber. We've gotta have a plumber. And sure enough, God sent us a plumber. Just a guy from, random guy from somewhere, drove in on a motorcycle, had plumbing tools, was there for a week and said, you know what? If you can bust open the floor of this thing, he said, I will, you know, if you can do it before I leave in a week, I'll at least do the rudimentary things to get you, you know, stuff out of the ground. Well, the floor was 10 inches thick of, of cement and rebar. And here was the other major problem is we had no idea where the plumbing line would run uh, in, in the building. We knew that there was one somewhere, but we had no idea. And I thought, well, I'll do that. And so I'll figure that out. And so, uh, and so I called a work day for the guys in the church because did I mentioned we didn't have any money and we rented a jackhammer. We could only afford to pay for a jackhammer uh, for a certain number of hours. So we're gonna go all night, do an all-nighter, have a work night. I called it was 20 below zero the night that we had the, the work night. In the warehouse, it was only about 45 or 50 degrees. We did that on Sundays, 45-50 degrees, because we didn't have a lot of heat. But anyway, that's all whole other story. So so um, so everybody's coming, we got a plumber coming. Now I gotta find the pipe. And um, so I went, I thought, well, I'll go to to, to the city. Surely they filed something there. I went to the city, and they said, "Are you kidding me?" They said, "That's in that's outside of the city limits. It's in the county," and they said, uh, "There are no building codes in the county. The the farmers have voted out in building building codes. They don't want anybody telling them how to build their barns." And so just swing away, do whatever you want to do. And I, and I, <laughs> I thought, and that's serious. That's truth. We built a whole building with no building codes, nothing. And so, uh, and so we. Um, but that's scary. Uh, but it's still there. Uh, so we. Um, So I thought, well, where can I find the plumbing schematics on this thing? And the guy said, well, we don't have them. And it was actually a warehouse that was owned by the mafia. We all knew that. Nobody would talk about it, but it seemed that uh, perhaps it was a way for them to skim money and all this. So it seemed like that perhaps they had killed the plumber. I don't know, but (laughs) I could not find anything. And so here's the day. Here's the day of the work day. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate. And I'm out in this warehouse and I'm prayer walking the warehouse going, God, give me an idea. There's got to be plumbing in here somewhere. I've got people coming tonight. All the money we have in the church is wrapped up in a jackhammer. We've got a free plumber. What are we going to do? And about that time, a farmer came in and farmers can do anything. And so I explained to the farmer what was up. I said, what would you do? He said, I'd use witching rods. I said, what are witching rods? Which he explained to me. Witching rods are actually, these are a pair of, uh, these are cheap ones, this is actually coat hangers. And, uh, <laughs> and what he said is he said, I'll get a pair of witching rods and I'll go out in a field and, and where the witching rods come together, I know there's water. Now you look up this up on Wikipedia and it says it does not happen, okay? I'm here to testify. So here's what happened. So the farmer went away and I started prayer walking the warehouse with witching rods. I said, God, I know it's got witch in it, but you can use anything. (laughs) Redeem it, redeem it. We have got to have it. We have got to have it. Boom! right there it went. I thought, wow. So I went back and I did it again. Boom! right there, same thing. So I marked a little tiny place right there in the deal, and then the men showed up that night. And I explained the story. We don't have plumbing schematics. And I wanted to make a show of it. I wanted to be established as a leader. And so what I did is I said, guys, let's just pray. We're gonna walk around. And I got to that place, and boom, there it did it again. I sort of dig right here. And so for two or three hours, they were going with this, you know, this whatever it was, jackhammer. And they got through the 10 inches, and then there was some, some rocks down there, and guess what they found? Nothing. And so, <laughs> and so I got down on my, on my stomach, and I reached down in there, and I reached over here, and I grabbed a hold of a cast iron, I think it was iron, uh, Main for the plumbing and it was awesome. It was incredible. But I'm gonna tell you, that day when I was walking around wondering where are the schematics and what can you do, um, I, I I was overwhelmed. In fact, I think I felt a little bit like Moses did. Did you read about Moses this week? You guys, are you reading together the year in the word? Isn't that kind of fun? We're all reading the same thing. You guys are doing good. You're two months into it. Some of you have never read the Bible for two months in your life. And you're two months into this, and, and we're, we're preaching from something that we're, we're reading about. And, uh, and I was going to preach from the Proverbs, because that's easy. How many you know there's a lot of good things in the Proverbs? And the Lord spoke to me this week and said, you're going to do the tabernacle. Why? Because the whole church is skimming the tabernacle. Did you skim? Cubits, gold, rings, say it four times, skim, let's go to the next. Got that one done, mark that off, that type thing. So, so, I, was, so I, was, I was reading that story, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me to that that I need to teach that today. I'm not gonna teach in-depth tabernacle. Some of you who really like to study the word, man, tabernacle would be a nine-month series, but I'm just gonna give you 101. But as I was thinking about Moses, I was thinking he must have felt the same way, overwhelmed with the project that the Lord gave him. Look at this. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone. Now, he's already gotten the The commandments, but God says, now I'm gonna write them down. I'm gonna make tablets with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. And when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. You know what I thought about this is that usually when you start a new project or you step out in faith spiritually or in just something that you feel like God wants you to do, there pretty soon right away there's a fog. Have you ever been in a fog? It's just like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? It sounded exciting before. Now I can't even see what's next. Have you ever been there? That's Moses. Look at this. Watch. That's just normal. And it says, uh, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days. The cloud covered the mountain. Think about that. Moses in a fog for six days. Would you stay there? Would you have stayed there? Moses in a fog for six days. And it says, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the in, in the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. They thought Moses was on fire up there. You know, it was just pretty incredible. But um, it, it, so, so for the next 40 days, for the next 40 days, is that what it said? Then Moses entered the clouds, he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And so for the next 40 days, or seven chapters in your um in your reading this week, God lays out a plan for Moses to lead one of the most aggressive building projects up until that time to build a movable Sistine Chapel. Have you ever been to the Sistine Chapel? Anybody ever been? Well, he's going he's to build something like that. He's going to build something incredibly ornate and intricate, a place of worship that could be assembled and disassembled every few days. And uh, let's see what we can learn about him. And what God might be calling us to. So what I want to talk to you about is is about the tabernacle, how to build a tabernacle. And I want to give you three things that I learned this week that I think can be important to us. The tabernacle, first of all, was a place where God met with his people. It's a place where God met with his people. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Up until this point, God has been distant, okay? God has been a concept. God has shown up in power from time to time. But God says, no, I want to dwell. I want to be with. I want to hang out with my people. And so he says, build me a place where I can hang out. It's called the tent of meeting, and people would come there to meet God in worship. It was a place of forgiveness. Now, let me give you a clue on this, and it might be too late if you're you're just reading through this. One of the ways in the Old Testament especially, when you come onto passages that are difficult or they're, they seem to be boring or whatever it happens to be, they're, they're there for a purpose, Google like pictures that you can look at. Like Google the Tabernacle of the Lord, go to images and you'll see something like this that will help you to kinda see what was going on. And so when they're given all those sizes, let me tell you what they're doing. First of all, the tabernacle, it's in the desert. It's a movable deal. This is a fence made out of white uh, curtains, basically, and it's 150 feet this way and 75 feet this way. Let me give you a visual on that. Now, if you're watching online, this won't mean anything to you, but if you're in this building right here, look at that wall down there, okay? Then look at this wall down here. That's about 150 feet. Look at that wall right there, where the windows are, and look back there. That's about 75 feet. Okay, so this is almost the exact size. Does it feel holy? Almost the exact size of the of the whole um, tabernacle area. Then you've got this multicolored gate where people go in. It's actually a curtain, and then you've kind of got three areas out here. You've got the uh, the common area. It's it's the uh, well. Let's. Let's go to this, this next one. It's the outer court, that's what it's called. And this is just kind of a, a picture of that. This is the outer court. And anybody could go into the outer court. If you, why would you go into the outer court of the, of the uh, tabernacle? If you'd sinned, okay? If you're gonna be honest with your sin, and the way to forgive sin in those days was it had to be, so, something had to be punished, and so they would take an innocent animal, and they would place their hands on that innocent animal and convey, in, in a sense it was like conveying their own sin to that. And uh, for, for major sin it was uh, a bull and then they would cut the bull and they'd do it in a humane way, you can study it. Uh, and then they'd have a barbecue basically on the altar right here. Some things they could eat, other things they couldn't. But the principle for me is if you're gonna go further with God, you've gotta cut the bull. How many of you would agree with that? And so anybody could be out here in this area. And then this tabernacle, this thing you see right here, was divided, this is it here, it was divided into two parts, kind of two thirds here, one third here, with a curtain. And this outer part, where the altar of incense, the table of showbread, I'm not gonna talk about all that stuff, but it was called the holy place. And the only people that could get in here were priests. Okay, so normal, Every day you and I would be here and then priests would be here and then this is the most holy place. There's only one thing in here and that's the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Anybody know? Ark of the Covenant contained the laws that Moses is going to get. He hasn't gotten yet, but he's, God's telling him about it. The tablets of law and uh, what else? Manna, a bowl of manna to remind them of God's provision and the Aaron's uh, stick that turned, that flowered and all that kind of thing that got them out of Pharaoh's grass, basically. And they're always gonna remember that. And that's in here. And they only go in here one time a year and only one person can go in. And that's the high priest. And the high priest, who is Aaron, what he'd have to do, oh, before I say that, guess what that one day is. What is the most holy day on the Jewish calendar? Anybody know? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And it celebrates this, and it it happened once a year. It was the day of atonement when the high priest would atone for the sins of all of the people. Are you still with me? Because it's going somewhere here. So what he would do is he'd, he'd personally cleanse himself, and then he would sacrifice a bull for his own personal sins. And then he would come into this area, and he would sacrifice... He would bring two goats with him. He had to bring two goats to church on that day. How many of you are glad that you don't have to bring goats to church anymore? <laughs> Somebody over here said, my husband's here. Is that close? That counts. <laughs> but, but I'm going to tell you why you don't have to do it. So he would bring one goat, and one goat he would sacrifice for the sins, that their sins would be conveyed. The other goat would be called the scapegoat. He would lay hands on that scapegoat, and, and it was at, symbolic of the sins of Israel, uh, everybody's supposed to be dealing with their own sin, but there are sins that maybe weren't deal, dealt with. All the sins of Israel would be placed on that goat, and that goat would be released out into the, um, into the wilderness, signifying a separation that those sins were taken away. The sins were, of Israel were taken away. So two goats uh, were done, and that would happen once a year. It was kind of like a one-year insurance policy against sin. They'd have to re, renew it and re-up it uh, every year now there's an important symbolism for Christians as Hebrews as we read just a couple of weeks ago. Remember what I told you about Hebrews that Hebrews is hard to understand. Why is it hard to understand because it 's written to Jews, okay and Jews understood all this stuff about the tabernacle. they understood all this stuff about the sacrifices and all of that. and Hebrews is explaining Jesus in light of the Old Testament. it's just a commentary on the Old Testament and in Hebrews here it says Unlike the other high priests, who's the high priest? Aaron, the brother of of, uh, Moses and all of the high priests that followed him. He, Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day or year after year, first for his own sins and then for the sins of other people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Hebrews says that Jesus was the high priest And he was the sacrifice, okay? And so because he did that and offered himself, we don't have to do it year after year. When he was sacrificed on the cross, it was for sin forever. He declared it is finished. And then he sat down at the right hand of God and no further sacrifice was ever needed. Now, how many of you are happy that he did that? Okay, that's why we don't have to bring sacrifices because he is the sacrifice and it's the complete sacrifice once forever and so that's the Old Testament and the New Testament Now the goats are interesting uh, the, the two goats it says since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him Romans 5 and verse 9 says and uh, uh, so that's the one goat that was that was the sacrifice for sin and the other goat, the one that was released, the scapegoat, Psalm 103 and verse 12 says that there is coming a day that your sins will be as far as the east is from the west. So far he has removed our transgressions from us and that's fulfilled in Hebrews 10 when it says he adds their sins and the lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And so what he's saying is he's saying that If you live under the old covenant, you better have a good insurance policy once a year. If you live under the new covenant, Jesus, he has become both the high priest and the sacrifice. He is the goat that was sacrificed, and he is also the goat that was released so that your sins are forgiven and forgotten as far as the east is from the West. And that's why you don't have to ask God to forgive your sins. He has already done it. All you have to do is confess your sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive them. Can you say a big amen? That is good amen. stuff. And that's all I'm going to talk about in the tabernacle from that sense. There's a lot of theology, a lot of, a lot of theology in there. So let's let's go to our our the first thought is that the tabernacle was a place where God met with his people. And here's the second thought. The constructing of the tabernacle was bigger than one man's ability to accomplish. As I, I was reading, I just imagined as a leader how Moses was thinking. God says this, make you, Moses, you make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly, not close to, Not close to, anybody ever made something close to? And it leans? Yeah, me too. He says exactly like the pattern that I will show you. It's like God is saying to Moses, okay, get your your notepad out, get your clipboard, I want you to take notes, I'm gonna tell you what I want you to do. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, write that down, Moses, acacia, how do you spell that? There it is, A-C-A-C-I-A, that's in English. Two and a half cubits long, not three, not two and three quarters, two and a half, and a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold. Where are you gonna get that? I'm gonna tell you in just a minute. Both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. God, I don't do molding. Well, you're going to now. It's gonna be right. Cast four gold rings for it and then fasten them to its four feet and with two rings on one side and two rings on the other, then make poles of acacia wood. Did you write down acacia? I got it. And overlay them with gold. How do I do that? You'll figure it out. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. And this is important, Moses. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. You got that down? I think I do. He's like, overwhelmed. How in the world am I going to do that? Then there's lampstands and tables and he can't run to Home Depot or Lowe's and he's got to make this stuff. I can remember the year that Debbie declared, why don't you just make the kids Christmas gifts this year? I'm thinking you've mistaken me for your father. He could make anything. I can't make coffee. In fact, I've got. we've got two Two of these cars that kids ride around when they're crumb crunchers, you've seen them, with batteries, they go fast and all that. I thought this would be cool, let's buy a couple of those. So we bought them, I put them together according to the instructions in the manual. They are currently in my barn, neither one of which work! (laughs) Because I can't build anything. And then a few more chapters on this, which you skimmed this week, and by this time, Moses has gotta be spinning, and then, oh, uh, here's what else he said, he said this. He says, uh, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. And Moses goes, I don't know how to sew. And God says, dude doesn't know how to dress. You are gonna have to get him and his kids some stuff so people will respect them. But then he goes down, and this is what was very cool about this whole passage. In verse 31, the Lord said to Moses, see, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Ur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Said, you know what, before you were born, I had a plan. And I knew you couldn't do it by yourself, And so I placed people around you filled with the Holy Spirit for that particular task, look at this. He said, with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, and to cut and set stones, and some of you are gifted in some of those ways, and you feel like My gifts, you know, my gifts are so much lower than a pastor or a priest. And God says, no, 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 we all do this. We're all a part of the body of Christ, as we talked about last week, the New Testament, and every one of our gifts are important. We're all a necessary part of what God's doing. He says, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts, moreover, I have appointed somebody, the son of somebody else, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Okay, and also I've given the ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. Anything significant that you do for God is almost never accomplished alone. Would you agree with that? Never accomplished alone. These are two leadership principles I'm gonna give you right now. If you're a leader in your family, if you're a leader in a business company or in the church, if you can accomplish it by yourself, it's probably not a big enough dream from God. It's probably just a good idea. When God gives you something, usually it's overwhelming and it cannot be accomplished alone. Here's the second principle. When he does that, God has planted the gifts that you need to succeed in the people that he places around you. He's planted the gifts. See, somebody told me a long time ago, where God guides, God provides. What's a burden for you is a blessing for somebody else. God wants you to see people like he sees people. You might be overwhelmed in what you're doing, and God says, I want to open your eyes. I want you to see people around you like I see people around you, because I've planted everything you need for success around you. But oftentimes, as leaders, we look at people. We look at people. I can see you, and I know your background, and I know your resume. I know what you normally do. We look at people, and what God says is, I want you to look through people. I want you to look through them to what they could be. That's what Jesus did. You see it all the time. Jesus looks at a man named Simon, who everybody said is a wishy-washy, and he starts things, he never finishes things, and he's kind of a coward at times, and he's brave at other times, and Jesus looks not at him, he looks through him, and he says, no, you're not Simon, you are Peter, you are a rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. He prophetically speaks to him and draws out of him more than what he could be, and that's what you're called to do as a leader. It's not look at people. You don't look at your kids. You look through your kids. You don't speak what they are. You speak what they could be. You look at the employees around you. If you're always talking about looking at them, it's going to discourage them. But if you look through them, it will inspire them. will inspire them. And And so God wants Moses to look not at these guys with funny names, he wants him to look through them and to see the gifts that God has given. And sometimes the gifts are in embryo stage and they need to be developed, but they're there. And they're all around you right now. And so ask God to open your eyes to see what he has placed around you. So what do we know about the tabernacle? We know, first of all, that it was uh, a place where God met his people. It was bigger than one man's ability. And it was completed by the generosity of willing That's the thing that stuck out to me as I read this story. Over and over and over again, I saw the word willing. God prompted hearts, willing, willing, willing. And so here's the process. God tells Moses, he says, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. That's always uncomfortable for a leader. Always uncomfortable. Go ask people for money. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose hearts prompt them to give. I can just see Moses going, God, how about we try something else? Do you remember the manna? You know, you drop manna from heaven and we need it. How about you just drop the resources from heaven? That would be, that'd be cool. Everybody would worship you. That would be awesome. I wouldn't have to ask for an offering. God says, no, we're not going to do that this time. Well, how about this? How about you just... Um, There's oil in these ground. I know there's gonna be in like thousands of years. How about we strike oil, we'll form a company and we'll build the tabernacle off of the resources of that. No, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna ask for an offering. Well, how about this? How about we form a multi-level marketing company? Everybody will profit from that. We'll put you at the top and we'll build it from that. I have had that said to me a few times. But anyway, so God says, no. What we're gonna do is we're gonna ask for an offering from the people, I know it makes you uncomfortable, but Moses, look at this. I'm gonna prompt people to give. You don't worry about who gives and who doesn't, and because I got a bigger perspective. God knew that the ask would test the people's ownership. This was an interesting question. This was an interesting question. So somebody asked me, uh, we have bulletin folders and stuffers, a wonderful, faithful group that does that every week on Thursdays at 2 o'clock, right out here. So I was walking through just saying hi to them this week, and one of them said, where did they get all of the rubies and the jewels and the gold and all of that for the offerings that they brought for the tabernacle? Because they're out in the desert. They've been wandering around. Where did they get that stuff? I thought, that's a pretty good question. How do you know the answer to that? Anybody know the answer to that? Nobody's going to raise their hand. Somebody because I know the answer, I think. But if I'm wrong, I'll keep it right here, okay? <laughs> Let me give you the answer. They got it in Egypt. You knew the answer, didn't you? They got it, because you've been there. We went together. They got it in Egypt. They got it in Egypt. Do you remember the Passover night when God was giving instructions? He said there's gonna be this horrible thing that happens, but it's gonna get you out of, of Egypt. I want you to ask your neighbors for bling, and they're gonna... They're gonna be glad to give it to you. And so everybody got some bling. That bling is the same bling that God's asking Moses, give me a little bling. That's what he's doing. And so what he's what he's doing is he's testing the ownership of the bling, which is God's anyway, right? And he says, just give me some of it and I'll prompt hearts, and it's gonna be okay. It's gonna test people. And and what's gonna happen is is that every day you're gonna find out in just a minute that Certain people are gonna give and their generosity is gonna encourage others and more people are gonna give and it's not just gonna be one offering, it's gonna be every day, it's gonna build and it's gonna be incredible. And God knows that there's plenty of resources to build a tabernacle, it's just currently being used by the people. That's why whenever we build a building, sometimes I'll say, there's good news, we have all the money we need to build the next building including the one out front here. Unfortunately, it's still in your wallets but you're gonna give it, I know you're gonna Come on, laugh. Will you laugh? It's okay. All of a sudden it got real quiet. We started talking about giving. This was good, Greg, until you got it in our pocket. That's all right. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But God knows that there are willing people whose hearts will be moved. It's, it's kind of like he's saying to Moses, don't worry about who doesn't give. There are going to be many whose hearts are going to be prompted. And I'm going to use this to teach them the value of generosity. You also read in Proverbs chapter 11 this week, This verse, it says, one person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly but but comes to poverty. That is so counterintuitive. How do you get more money? You give. You give, you give, you give, it says. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And so they saw an example of that. They saw an example of that. Now, they had a golden calf detour When things took longer than they expected, you read about that, the principle there is don't do anything stupid while you're waiting. Has anybody paid stupid tax on that? And then Moses gives the people these instructions. He says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing, notice he's not forcing anything. He's saying this is free will. Everybody who's willing is to bring the Lord an offering of gold and silver and bronze Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. Why did they withdrew? Were they mad? No. No, he gave them the instructions and they withdrew to pray. Say, God, deal with my heart. Am I supposed to be a part of this? And those who were willing, who were prompted, began to give. And everyone who was willing and whose hearts moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of the meeting, for all of its services and for the sacred garments all who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry, all kinds, all the bling from Egypt. They had presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. They're excited about it. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. What I imagine happened is that it was kind of a celebration and somebody else would hear about it who wasn't willing, said, I'm willing now, I'm gonna do it. And they start bringing it. So every day you've got offerings going on until, watch this, watch this, So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, enough already. The people are bringing more than enough for the work that the Lord commanded to be done and for the first and last time ever in the history of a building program. This is what Moses said. Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. Stop it. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because of what they'd already had was more than enough to do the work. I would have loved to have been there that day. I'd have loved to have been a part of that, just been a part of the joy of the giving. Think about about, though the people who were just getting ready to give and couldn't give and couldn't be a part of that whole thing. Just think about that. There's all kinds of things in there. So what if we had more than enough? What I wanna do with the seven seconds I have left is to, I'm gonna take a couple minutes, is to, let's talk about how this narrative applies to our church. Together, we are building a place where God meets with us. Here at the Mount Pleasant campus, uh, most of you are aware, we're gonna expand our auditorium. This is gonna become a youth auditorium. They're growing like crazy, and they're gonna, take over this, we're going to make it a little bit nicer for them, and then we're going to build them a a sanctuary out front, an auditorium where people will worship. Now, we're not building the tabernacle. The tabernacle is Jesus. But what we are building is a church because Jesus established the church, and we're going to build a building where God is going to meet with us. So I was thinking about it this week. It's a place where we'll meet with God, Thousands of people will meet with God and make a commitment to him. You know, last week, I challenged you guys, end of the service, we did something new. I said, hey, if, you, if you'd like to commit your life to Christ, text hope to a number. Did you know over 500 people did that? Some of you did it just to see what would happen. I know you. I was one of them. But there were hundreds of people who responded, and we responded back there's coming a day when we build a bigger building there's coming a day when there will be thousands on a weekend that will do that it's a place where um, marriages will be restored as they are here just more it's a place where our children and our grandchildren will find their faith it's a place where more resources will be stewarded in such a way that we'll be able to serve the community better meet needs around the world more generously, plant life-giving churches and campuses in communities that desperately need them. It's gonna be a place where literally hundreds of thousands of people, that's not an exaggeration, we build that over the years, hundreds of thousands of people will meet God over the years here, after you and I are long gone. Together, we're building a place where God will meet us. It's bigger than one man's ability to pull off, obviously. And it will be completed by the generosity of willing people. Just like the building of the tabernacle, I believe God will move hearts of willing people to give. Did you get three pennies as you came in? Did you get three pennies wherever you are? Put put, put them in your hand. And I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. There was a lady named Agnes who had three pennies. She also had a dream dream of doing something significant in her life. How in the world was she gonna realize her dreams with only three pennies? What could she do with so little? Agnes felt called to ministry as a young girl and went through ministerial training in Ireland and then in India. When she graduated from her training, her heart was on fire. It was like, it was prompted like all of these Israelites. Her heart was on fire to do something great for God. That's what they were doing. They were doing something great for God that would be remembered forever. Her heart was on fire. She, uh, One day she approached her superiors and announced, I have three pennies and a dream from God. The dream is to build an orphanage. Her superiors couldn't believe what they were hearing, and after laughing at her, they said, You can't build an orphanage with three pennies. With three pennies, you can't do anything. Agnes just smiled and replied, I know. But with God and three pennies, I can do everything. I can do anything. So, for 50 years, this woman, Agnes, worked among the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. We know Agnes today as, guess who? Mother Teresa. Yeah, you're ahead of me there. She literally gave her life away as sacrificial love to others. Mother Teresa didn't have material things that many of us have today, but she had a passion which gave her life and meaning and direction. The impact of her love and kindness impacted millions around the world. She only had three pennies in a dream that burned in her heart. And that was more than enough. You know, I know everybody here today has at least three pennies. (laughs) I'm gonna ask that you get a passion and a dream from God for what we can do together. Um, Some of you have a lot more than three pennies. You know, I was doing the math. We're about halfway through this project as far as what we need to, we're just on the starting edge, but on how much money that we need to do it, we're just about halfway through. And and I was thinking about it, I was thinking if everybody in our church, everybody, man, woman, and child, got a calculator out, I got it out, If everybody gave $450 one time above their regular giving, we would have more than enough to meet the need. Everybody gave $450, we could meet the need for the next two phases of giving. But we know that not everybody will be prompted to give, number one. We also know that that includes children, college students. It includes those that are in a season of shortage. And so we know that some of us will need to give a whole lot more than that to make up for some who can't give as much. But here's what I'm confident of, and I am. The resources that we need to complete our project are in this house. And I'm also confident that God has asked me to ask you for them, okay? And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is just simply to pray. We're not gonna take an offering today, we're not gonna take commitments today. I'm just gonna ask you to pray, you're gonna go away. Remember the Israelites went away and they prayed. And what I want you to do is take the next two weeks to do that. Two weeks from now, we'll we'll make some commitments and take out the commitment card that was in the little brochure that you got as you came in. And by the way, all commitments in the past are forgiven and done, okay? We're starting all over, it's fresh, brand new. It's a new year. God's mercies are what? New every morning. This is a new morning, this is fresh, new. Forget last year, it's brand new, okay? Commitment card says a little bit about your name, address, email and all of that. We'll have this online too, which you'll get uh, before two weeks from now. So thanks thanks to your generosity, Giving Phase One was completed in 2016. Then it says a blank for Giving Phase Two, which is our goal of $8 million by April of 2017. What's gonna happen is we're building a parking lot right now. That parking lot hopefully will be done by Easter, praise God. And then the week after Easter or two weeks after Easter, we will tear up the parking lot that's out there and we're gonna start building the building. And, um, and we need $8 million by then. And we have 6.6 million, I believe. And so we need another 1.4 million. And you say, well, I can give part of my commitment by then. And then the following year, we hope to be done by fall of 2018. Be in there in plenty of time for Christmas of 2018. And we need five more million dollars. And so you just put whatever that you're, you think that you might be able to do, just go home and pray about it, go home and pray about it. That's all we ask you to do. And then together in two weeks, we're gonna bring our commitments to the, to, to the church. And in April, end of April, first of May, we're gonna receive an offering, sacrificially and specifically for this project. And then we'll do it again in December for the following year, just to let you know what's going on. All I'm asking you to do is to pray and ask God, am I one of the willing ones? You're gonna prompt my heart to give. Can I pray for you today? Is that all right? I'm gonna do it whether you say yes or no. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together. Thank you for just the beautiful picture of a tabernacle for us in the Old Testament that shows who you are in our lives today. And God, now we uh, come to the close of our service together. I want you to deal with us in our own individual ways in various areas. And also, just make this a, a matter of our hearts to pray. And God, I pray that you would prompt, and wouldn't it be incredible if we had to say enough already, just like Moses did, that we have plenty and more than enough to do the work that we have left. God, we commit it to you. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done.